Good. Well, as David said, we are in uh, the third part of our series looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, a book of wisdom literature that we find uh, in the Old Testament written by King Solomon. And, and really, this book charts Solomon's uh, exploration in search of meaning as he, uh, the king of Israel with vast wealth and uh, just everything that we often are inclined to think that we would want. He was, a, he was a well-educated man, a smart man. He was revered and respected by many uh, leaders of other nations, even came to him to learn from him. Uh, Solomon, on the surface, seems to have had it all. And, and in this book of Ecclesiastes, he sets out for us his search in all of this for meaning, to say, is it found in wisdom? Is it found in wealth? Is it found in women? Is it found in all of these different things? And over the last couple of weeks, we've uh, seen uh, as Solomon begins that search, and particularly last week, he gave us this kind of overview of, I tried this, and I tried that, and I tried the other, and I tried all of these things, and actually none of them were truly the place where meaning was to be found, and that actually he, he comes to the conclusion, really, that meaning is found in relationship with God, in, in understanding our relationship to him as creator and us as created. And we're going to continue uh, in that series today. So whether you are with us for the first time or whether you're a foundation regular, uh, I hope that you find this helpful. Uh, and that actually, more than just helpful, I pray that as we read these words from Scripture together, that you would find God speaking to you, uh, speaking to your heart, uh, and that you would hear something from him today, not just from me. So uh, as we get into Ecclesiastes today, we're going to be in chapter 3, and we're going to read the the bulk of chapter 3 together. And you'll see, as we do, actually, that these are some of the most famous words in the book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, thanks to the 1960s band, The Birds, they are actually some of the most famous words in all of Scripture. Uh, And you might already know what they are. If not, by the time we get to reading them, unfortunately, you're probably going to have them accompanied by a catchy tune going around your head. Uh, But we'll get there. Before we get to these verses in Ecclesiastes, though, uh, I want to say that we need to put our glasses on. And by that, what I mean is we need to get some lenses in place that will help us to really understand what King Solomon is writing about in these verses. Because if we jump straight in there without getting these things straight first, then actually we will really miss the point and be unable to understand and apply what they say. And the most significant thing we need to get in place, the glasses, as it were, that we need to put on today, the lenses through which we need to read these verses, is actually the biblical idea of God's sovereignty. That is, that we need to get on board with what the Bible teaches about who God is, not as some distant, disinterested deity who just kind of set the world in motion and then is leaving it to to spin on and watching it unfold for his entertainment, but instead a God who created and sustains all things, a God who is intimately involved in the universe which he created and who ultimately has all authority over that which he created too. And so we're going to have a quick look at what the Bible says 
uh, about the sovereignty of God before we jump into Ecclesiastes 3. Now, there are a couple of key passages we're going to look at. There are loads and loads of places we could go in the Bible for this, but we're going to look at a couple of key passages. We don't have time to do some kind of exhaustive study. So first, uh, if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter, six, uh, chapter 17, uh, the words will come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but if you could turn there, that would be great. So we're going to be in Acts 17, verse 24 to 28, and we read these words about God. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Okay, well, what do we read here in these verses? Well, first we read that God made everything and is Lord over everything. Now, no one else gets that accolade. No one else made everything and is Lord over everything. God alone. Then we also read that he doesn't need anything from us. It says here, doesn't it? He doesn't live in temples built by human hands. He doesn't inhabit a building or a space that we've made for him. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. See, God, the creator of all things, the Lord over all things, doesn't need anything from us. There's nothing we can add to him. There's nothing we can give to him or, or do for him that he is not already in possession of and cannot already do for himself. You know, it makes me laugh sometimes the way people kind of talk about and think about like God needing you to do something like he needs you to to do this to serve him or he needs you to tell people about him or if if you do this then God will be able to do this <laughs> do you know what that's a very self-important view God does not need us he never has done and he never will do he doesn't need you now amazingly God does invite us to partner with him in seeing his purposes come about on the earth. And that's an amazing privilege, but he really doesn't need us. Instead, actually, realize it or not, we are all utterly dependent on him. All of us. It says here, rather, he himself gives everyone, there's no exceptions here, everyone, all of us, life and breath. And then Paul adds here... <laughs> The guy who said these words, everything else, everything, just, just to kind of be clear, gives you life and breath and everything. He made all people. And, and what else do we find? It says he marks out when and where they live, determined their boundaries and their times, appointed times in history. You know, this is amazingly comforting, actually. There are so many places we could go in Scripture to see this, but right here in Acts 17, we read that God appointed this time in history for you. 
that it was by God's design and intent and purpose that you live here and now. God purposed for you to be alive at this point in time where you live right now. That's not by accident. Some of you may have grown up being told that you were an accident. Incredibly hurtful words to hear. But you know what? This verse and many others in Scripture say that is simply not so. (laughs) From a human perspective, maybe so. But actually, God determined your time in history right now. You're here because he wanted you here. Whatever anyone else may have told you, you are not a mistake. And to what end do we see God in this light? Well, it says here in Acts 17 that we might seek him, that we might reach out to him and find him. In him we live and move and have our being. God is sustaining you right now. Did you know that? The Bible teaches that. God is so in authority, so in control of all things, that he sustains all things. That is to say that the moment God stops sustaining, we would stop existing. All life would cease to exist. I heard someone illustrate it like this once. Imagine a a trumpet player playing just beautiful, beautiful music. Now, for as long as they continue to exhale, the notes ring out from their instrument. But the moment they stop, the music stops. And that's kind of a picture of how God is engaged with his creation in that he's exhaling life into this world in such a way that he is sustaining it. And for as long as he is sustaining, we exist. And he wants you to see his sustaining of you and of everything else. And as you acknowledge that, to reach out and respond to him. The almighty creator God made you for a relationship with him. To enjoy relationship with him. It's amazing, isn't it? What else do we read in the Bible about God's sovereignty? Now, why don't you turn with me? We're going to go uh, now into the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah, uh, and Isaiah 46, verses 9 to 11. And we'll read this together. Words from God. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Similar to the way the passage we just read in Acts 17 kicked off, right? That there is no one like him, no equal. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey and from a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Wow. I mean, what an awesome picture of God we have. I mean, just take in the enormity of those verses for a moment. God is unique. There is nothing else and no one else like him. No one compares. No one comes 
close. He's the one who knows the end from the beginning. I mean, this is staggering. However much you know, your perspective is actually very limited. And in this, God is saying, I'm not like you. (laughs) It's like, I see all the moments, all at once. I'm outside of time. I know the end as I know the beginning, as I know every single moment in between. But you are not like me, God wants to say, and he wants us to understand. See, we have a very small perspective. We're limited by time. If you've noticed that, but you are limited by time. (laughs) You can see what's happening right now in this moment. You can remember a few years of history, of your lived experience. And you may have learned about history beyond that through watching things and reading things and talking to people older than you who've been around longer than you. But still, that is a very small slice of history. And actually, what's more important is that God says he's seen the end from the beginning. He knows the end from the beginning. And actually, you've no idea what's coming next. (laughs) Like, however much you might think you do, you've no idea what's coming next. God, however, is outside of time. He sees and knows everything, every moment. That is staggering. See, his vision, his perspective is so much better than ours. He sees better than you do. What else does he say? He says, my purposes will stand and I will do all that I please. (laughs) Oh, man. Like God has a perspective we don't, and God has power that we don't. He says his purposes will stand. In other words, if he plans it, you know what? It is going to happen. The same can't be said for us. That's not us, is it? I mean, all kinds of things can crop up and delay or derail our plans completely. Many, many of us have experienced that in the last few months even. Things that we had planned for this year, derailed by COVID-19, holiday plans, work plans, uh, for us, church plans, things that we had intended to do as a church community that just like wiped out in a moment, completely derailed. And yet... God says here that his plans never fail. There has never been and there will never be something which derails God's purposes. He continues. He says, From the east I summon a bird of prey from a far-off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. In other words, God's perspective is better than ours. He's outside of time. His power is better than ours and and more full than ours. His ability to see through what he plans and to ensure that comes to pass. And not only in the big picture course of history, but he says here right down to detail. He's like, he works out his plans through creation. I mean, how far-reaching is the authority of God and how detailed his involvement that he says, if we were reading this into our context, it's like he says, hey, you know those red kites that you see circling up 
in the Berkshire sky. Yeah, they go hunting because I commanded them to. I'm like, how detailed is God's involvement in his creation? He says, they're up there doing that right now, looking for mice or shrews or whatever to eat because I sent them to do it. I purposed them to do that. And he says he can and does call a man to fulfill his purpose. God calls and uses and involves people in his purposes. People move according to God's plans and purposes, very often actually when they don't even realize or recognize it. God is very clear. What he has planned, he will do. Big, big picture plan, amazing authority, and tiny, intimate detail. I love in, in Matthew chapter 10, with Jesus talking about God's involvement in creation and provision for creation, part of his sustaining and his intimate involvement, Jesus says that not one sparrow falls to the ground without God's knowledge and oversight. I mean, this is amazing, right? The Bible teaches that God gives constant sovereign supervision even down to the tiny, seemingly insignificant level of sparrows. Or how about this? From the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, we read this about him. For by him, we were create, uh, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's amazing, right? And we could go on. I mean, I could go to passage after passage that talks about God's sovereign rule and his amazing care for his creation. In fact, actually, I would encourage you to find some time and, and, and do a study in Scripture of God's sovereignty. Look at what the Bible teaches about God in this way. God's word is clear. He wants us to know that he is in control, that he rules over all creation. Now, that doesn't mean that God produces every event. But it does mean that he's in absolute authority overall and that nothing happens without him allowing it. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a, a preacher and author, spoke about it like this. He said, there are two types of history, uh, that which God permits and that which God produces. These two types of history are constantly intersecting, and they intersect according to God's ultimate purpose. Whether God permits it to happen or he proactively produces it, all of it is working together to see God's purposes accomplished. And so we shouldn't be discouraged when things don't seem to be going to plan or they're not going how we would like them to. How often we get discouraged when our plans get derailed. 
and actually even when it seems like things are going against God's promises as we understand them, we can still trust him because there has never been a moment in history and there never will be a moment over which he is not in authority. And against that backdrop, kind of firm in the knowledge that God is good and God is in control, sovereign over all, with those lenses firmly in place and freshly ringing in our ears, then we come to Ecclesiastes 3 and read this. So if you want to turn there, and if you can stop yourself from singing the birds as we read it, then you're a better person than me. Um, Or maybe you've just never heard the song because you're too young. But let's find out. We read from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 through to 15. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Now Solomon, who up until now in the book of Ecclesiastes has set his sights firmly on what is under the sun. We've talked about that in the last two weeks. He uses this phrase time and time and time again through this piece of writing, under the sun. Uh, what, What happens under the sun? And we said that what he means by that is he's talking about that which we can we can see and hear and touch and taste and smell, that which we Uh, kind of apply our senses to take in. And now he shifts his focus just a little to what happens under the heavens. He writes uh, in verse 1, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. He changes his wording. He, He actually, instead of what was under the sun where you try and take God out of the equation and you say, this is just what I can see see and hear and taste and touch and smell. Now, in his search for meaning, 
having concluded that under the sun everything is meaningless and vanity and insubstantial and not enduring if you take God out of the picture, he shifts his focus and says under the heavens he now includes God in his search in this way because God is in the heavens and therefore life under the heavens is a recognition that life is life under God's authority, under God's sovereignty, that he is sovereign over it all. And so under the heavens, under God's sovereign rule, what do we find? Well, there is a season or time for everything. And then we read in verse 11 that God makes everything beautiful in its time. The picture we have here is almost like a, an expert weaver intricately making a beautiful carpet, taking all these various strands on the loom and weaving them into something truly stunning, truly beautiful. But actually, unless you have the perspective of the weaver, you will struggle to understand what's going on. I had the privilege of watching uh, some people. I went on a trip to Madagascar a few years ago uh, to do some filming with some friends. And we visited uh, a gentleman who sat behind this hand loom weaving amazing rugs and fabrics. But, but like honestly, from the other side... <laughs> well, you couldn't see the pattern. It just looked like a mess, and it was completely confusing, and I had no idea what was going on as his hands shot back and forth, and he was passing this kind of shuttle across the loom, and just staggering and pressing these different pedals. It, it was absolutely stunning to watch, but I had no idea what was going on, and honestly, it looked like a mess until I saw the finished product. And unless we have the perspective of the weaver, we will struggle to understand what's going on. And that's especially because for everything, like everything that happens under the heavens, includes things we don't like and we don't want. <laughs> and so we want to take some threads out of the loom. In fact, we would quite like to treat this set of things in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 like a buffet. Uh, you know, I'll take some of that, but not so much that. Like, like a time to be born, yep. A time to die, yeah, not so much. A time to plant, sounds good. And a time to uproot, well, I mean, it depends what you planted, right? I mean, if it's vegetables, then I'm all good with that. If it's begonias, not so much. A time to tear down, uh, how about that? A time to build. That sounds good, right? A time to weep. Mm, not such a fan. A time to laugh. Yeah, I'll take the laughter, please. A time to kill. Uh, yeah, not so keen on that. A time to heal. Yeah, I'll take the healing. Yeah. A time to embrace. And a time to not. Well, that's COVID, right? But I'm a hugger. And so... That's really frustrating. I, I want to take the time for embrace. And the time to not is just gross frustration. I don't want that. A time for dancing. <laughs> no, there's never a time for dancing. Let's just be clear on that. <laughs> you know, we think if we could choose 
from this list. If we could just pick the bits that we like and push to one side the bits that we don't, that we would do the best job of it. And so when bits that we don't like so much come our way, when we experience loss and there's mourning, when it feels like something that we care about is uprooted or torn down, when it comes to that time for death, well, we try and ignore those things. We, we push them to the margins of our lives. We try and distract ourselves away from them to, to minimize them, or we rail against them as, these things should not be so. Why is this happening? See, we want all of the pleasure, but none of the suffering. And we think that that would be the answer for our lives. We think that if we could just pick the bits we like from this list, then we would be happy and fulfilled and satisfied. But the truth is this. We don't see well enough. We don't have the perspective that we need. And actually, we don't get to choose. We don't get to choose. We go through these experiences in life, for all of us, there will be a time for these things. And we don't get to choose. And actually, that's a good thing. That's the perspective Solomon wants us to see with, and that's the perspective that the Bible would give us. Because God loves you too much for your life to be all the things that you think it should be. Now, that can be very frustrating sometimes. But it's true, and it's important. Actually, we all know this, even just from human experience, from parents, or for those of you who are parents and have children, you know, a good father knows how to give good gifts to his children. But he also knows that it's not a good thing if he is dictated to by the wants and whims of his children. <laughs> no. See, if as a dad I allowed my children to do everything that they think would be good, everything that they want, do you know what? Actually, out of my four children, most of them probably wouldn't still be alive right now if I let them do everything they wanted to do. One of our children went through a phase of wanting to run across the road. Every road, as we were walking across the pavement, he, he would just, he was desperate to see what the experience would be like to run across the road. And he would have huge tantrums as we said, no, you cannot, and we restrained him and stopped him. But he is alive now because we did that. If I let my children just eat the things that they wanted and never got them to eat things that they didn't want, well, you know, my children would be seriously unhealthy. They'd be really sick. And the same is true of our Heavenly Father. We don't always get what we want or what we think we need. And that's a very good thing. Because we don't have the perspective he has. When we're tempted to rail against God when things aren't going the way we think they should, it's like looking at the back of the loom whilst it's being woven by a master weaver and saying to the weaver, hey, it's not looking good back here. 
It's going wrong. I mean, you should see, this is a right mess. Seriously, I don't think you should do that. If I were you, I'd take that one out. That color doesn't work. Come on, take it out. I mean, it's just crazy. Oh, no, I don't think you wanted to do that. And like the weaver would say, look, trust me, I know what I'm doing. God wants us to have this perspective of him and say to us, trust me. You don't know everything and you can't see what I can. Remember, I'm the one who sees the end from the beginning. Trust me. We read in verse 11 that God makes everything beautiful in its time. See, in the fullness of time, we will see the beauty of what God is accomplishing. And sometimes, actually, we get a glimpse of this here and now. You know, in bringing Jenny and I and the family to Wokingham, God used a very painful set of circumstances. Ones that we would never have chosen for ourselves. I mean, not in a million years. We were absolutely heartbroken. We would not have chosen it. You know what? I can't think of another way that God could have got us to leave Plymouth, where we were living, and move here. Like, I was so convinced we were there for life. I was like, I'm Plymouth till I die. I know I am. I'm sure I am. Plymouth till I die. I mean, I was probably like the most fervent proponent of Southwest is best hashtag on social media. Like, I, I loved that part of the world. I loved that city. I loved the friends I had there, the community that we'd spent years investing in. We were convinced we'd never leave. I didn't want to leave, but God had other plans. And in the moment, that was incredibly painful. But actually, God had better plans. And I'm so glad that he moved us here to Wokingham. Yes, through painful circumstances. Yes, through things that we would never have chosen to walk through. But I'm so glad that he did. Because he knew better than I did. <laughs> and what's more, actually, through the pain and through the heartache, he didn't just relocate us. He didn't just move us to a new place to start again. He grew us in the process. See, there were things in my character that God was able to address and deal with in that process and through that pain. There were lessons I needed to learn he used the process to accomplish something in me. He, he used the process to, to cause me to depend on him more deeply than I had before. He caused that process to actually lessen my self-reliance, my belief that I could do it, that I could make it happen. I had to learn in that time to find more and more of my identity in him and less and less in my job, my position. See, I would never have chosen that time of uprooting and tearing down. But actually, I'm so glad that God took us through it. 
because his ways are better than my ways. His plans are better than mine. And you know, sometimes we go through stuff and we don't sit. We don't gain that perspective. Right now with COVID-19, I don't think any of us would have chosen it. And I think most of us are struggling to see the good in it. Just experiencing the pain, the confusion, the frustration as we see people sick, others dying, as we see the growing economic pressure and we hear more news stories of people losing jobs and facing redundancy. But do you know what? The Bible teaches us in moments like this to trust God, to know that he is at work and that although we might never fully understand why this side of eternity, that he is using this situation to bring about his plans and purposes. And we might not see how, but we can trust that he is. He's working these things together for our good and for his glory. See, trusting that God is sovereign and is working out his plans changes our perspective completely. It helps us to see that there is purpose and meaning in everything. That in God's economy, nothing is wasted. There is purpose in all things. Meaning in it all, even when we don't or can't or won't see it. When we can be tempted to feel like everything is spiraling out of control. Like everything is falling apart. The Bible reminds us, and these verses remind us, that there is not one moment over which God does not declare, I am Lord. And I read this week an interview on the BBC website with a cosmologist called Katie Mack. And she was speculating about the end of the universe, the end of the world, and how it could happen at any time. You know, this kind of thing might happen, this solar event, or this kind of collapsing star, or this kind of thing might happen, and we'd all be gone. And she was talking about the sense of perspective that gives her in life. She said this. She said, there is something about acknowledging the impermanence of existence that is just a little bit freeing. Remember what King Solomon said about life? It's a vapor. It's not permanent. It's temporary. It's fleeting. It's short. She's observed that. A lot of aspects of modern life, she says, are designed around trying to convince us that we are totally safe, protected, and in control of everything around us. And that's just not true. Obviously, there's the whole COVID situation in the world right now, driving that home, she says. Cosmically speaking, we're just kind of out there in this universe, And we have to accept what it gives us. (laughs) It's an interesting perspective, isn't it? Actually, I think it's quite a bleak perspective. When you take God out of the equation, ultimately you get to the same conclusion as Katie Mack. Cosmically speaking, we're just kind of out there in this universe. And we have to accept what it gives us. There's no big plan. There's no purpose. But the view of Ecclesiastes and of the Bible is actually far more 
optimistic. We're not at the mercy of the cosmos, having to accept whatever it gives us. No, we're in the hands of the almighty God. And we enjoy life as a gift from him. We recognize his good and gracious hand in our lives. See, this isn't just all blind chance. No, he has a good and perfect plan. And he is working it out like the expert weaver at the loom. So how are we supposed to respond to all of this? What difference does that make? Well, Solomon tells us from verse 12 on, he says, I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. He says, with this perspective that God is in control, with this perspective of submitting to his authority and to his lordship, actually then we're to live and to work hard, to enjoy life, to eat and drink and and receive it as a gift from God and we're to do good. And that means living in a way that honours God as Lord and that lives for the good of others. And whatever comes, whatever season it is, whether everything seems to be going well or whether we feel like we're being buffeted by the waves of life, we take great comfort in the fact that he is in control and that he's good. And the fact that we read from verse 14 that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. See, Solomon reminds us that in this perspective, as we enjoy life as a gift from him, as a good and gracious gift from his hand, and as we do, we recognize that his plans come to pass, that he makes all things beautiful in their time, that, that what we can't see right now, how this is working out, if we had his perspective, we could see this beautiful carpet being woven this beautiful tapestry and it's far more beautiful than you can possibly fathom right now and instead of discouraging us into giving up actually this perspective of knowing God is in control of everything from here to eternity actually encourages us to keep going to keep pressing on to keep trusting him and not to lose heart when things don't seem to be going to plan because we're caught up in something bigger, in his plans that are unfolding throughout history and that one day we will see that he makes everything beautiful in its time. And so we fear God in a right way. We submit to him as Lord We take comfort in the fact that he is in control and we have confidence that he makes all things beautiful in their time and we enjoy this life, all of it, (laughs) as a gracious gift from his hand, all of it. The joy and the pain, the losses and the triumphs, we see it as a gift to be lived, as an opportunity to know him more and become more like him. I want to encourage you in the hard times. Take heart. Take heart from the fact that he is good and he is in control. Look to him. 
trust that he is at work for your good and for his glory and ask him if there's something that he's wanting to teach you through this circumstance. See, as we moved from Plymouth to Wokingham and the the pain and the challenge and the discomfort and the heartache of that, like I said, I grew and I learned in that process because I looked to him and said, God, I don't understand this, but I trust you. I trust that you're at work in this and I trust that you're good and that your ways aren't my ways and your plans aren't mine. They're much better. And I trust you. But God, if there's something that you're wanting to use this to teach me, to to grow me, to shape me, then please show it to me. I talked with him about it. I asked him to reveal those things in my heart and he did through conversations with others, through things I read in scripture. And I grew in the process. I want to encourage you to do that when trials come. I want to encourage you to look for opportunities to speak encouragement and life into others. And I want to encourage you to recognize that what you do in this life matters. What you do in this life in response to God matters. Remember, the work of God endures forever. (laughs) And that includes whatever we do according to his will for his glory. And so our lives and labor aren't in vain. It's not meaningless, meaningless. In this perspective, there is great eternal meaning and value to our lives because we're invested in an everlasting kingdom. The same God who put eternity in our hearts makes all things beautiful in their time, including things that right now seem lost or broken to you. All in his perfect timing. I want to pray for us and then we're going to sing one final song. Lord, we thank you for the incredible comfort that comes from knowing that you are Lord and that you are in control. Lord, I want to thank you so much for the fact that you love us too much to just give us all the things we want. Lord, I know if I just had everything I'd ever wanted and everything I'd ever asked for and everything I ever thought would be good for me, I'd be a mess. (laughs) I would be a mess. Lord, I'm so grateful that as a loving father, you discipline the ones you love and you actually say no. (laughs) because you know what's truly good for us. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to trust in you, to look to you. Lord, we thank you that through your son, Jesus, we can be reconciled to you and brought into relationship with you, that we might see you for who you are as our loving heavenly father, and we might enjoy this life as a gift from your hands. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live with a greater perspective and understanding of your goodness and your sovereignty this week. Lord, would you help us to see our circumstances through that lens. Lord, the good times and the bad times. Lord, we want to receive them as a gift from you. We want to learn and grow as you teach us and shape us for our good and for your glory. And we look forward to the day. We look forward to the day when we get to see with your perspective all that you have been accomplishing 
throughout history. (laughs) We know that your plans are way, way, way better than ours. Help us to trust in you all the more. Amen.